You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, it's a new year. It's been a few weeks since we've done this, and I yeah. totally forgot to bring up Baby Yoda and have him do his head bopping thing during the. I was music. watching so, you really you know, closely, and I was like, "Is he is he just doing a special delay here?" No, yeah. I. Yeah. It's been a while, yeah. so I'm I'm rusty. I mean, it only took a couple of weeks, and I'm already rusty. I guess, but it is a new it, year. It is, and a new notebook mm, for nice. uh, for 2023 for episodes. So I'm ready to go. Let's go. Are we done yet? You know, we go home? everybody talks New Year's. Well, I don't know about everybody, but many people talk New Year's resolutions. And that's an area I've always struggled with because I have a tendency to choose too many things and then fail epically at most of them. But I think that we this is going to be a really good episode for anybody whose New Year's resolution was, I want to have a better experience tabletop role playing with my friends. <laughs> and so if that happened to have been your extremely niche, narrow but important New Year's resolution, then I think we've got the right kind of episode lined up here because we have Keith Amon, whose name I hope is familiar to many of you for the monsters know what they're doing, the monsters still know what they're doing, and most recently, how to defend your lair. Keith, how are you doing? Very well. How are you? Doing okay. We're off the streets and out of trouble, which, you know, it's not a bad way to begin the new year. Or as the Norwegians say, I recently learned up and not crying. Oh, that's, <laughs> wow, that is a whole thing. <laughs> so, okay, in the same way that like up and not crying makes me think there is a whole cultural narrative that informs how we get to that as a widely used expression. I got to think that there has to be like a biography of you as a gamer, as a DM, and as someone in the in the tabletop role-playing community of things that happened to you that made you one day sort of slap your hands on the counter and say, damn it, I'm making a blog. <laughs> I can't allow these crimes to continue. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, what's the origin story of you saying, like, I must help people do better? The crime, uh, the crime was my own. I had come back to D&D after many, many years away from it and away from tabletop role-playing games in general, my wife had asked me to dungeon master a group of her coworkers. And uh, she specifically wanted uh, said they wanted to play D&D. So that's what we were going to play. And I hadn't done it in ages. The last role-playing game I had played was GURPS 3rd Edition, and the last time I had played D&D was all the way back in 1989, right around the time that... It's AD&D 1, yeah? Well, right around the time that 2nd Edition was just hitting shelves, okay, yeah. but also when Shadowrun 1st Edition had hit shelves and yanked my attention away from D&D like that meme of the guy walking down the street with his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh so yeah, I had not played D&D since first edition AD&D. And oddly enough, I happened to come back to it just at the time when 5th edition hit. So I was I was coming in maybe not exactly on the ground floor mm -hmm. but Yeah. In, within less than a year of, of its release. And I got the starter set, flipped through the starter set, uh, looked at the basic rules, realized that 
from my own experience, the limited character options were not going to be quite enough. So I went ahead and and splurged and got the player's handbook and the dungeon master's guide, monster manual, all those, and started running Lost Minds of Fandelver. I was called Lost Minds for some reason. I know it's Lost Mine. Anyway. <laughs> I made that mistake in like six consecutive podcasts. <laughs> so the first couple of encounters in that book, I don't think at this point, so many years later, it's too much of a spoiler to say they involve goblins, left me feeling like I was missing something, that that I hadn't done enough to make those encounters feel like they were encounters with goblins. And that's something that's always been a really huge concern of mine, is making the world feel like a real living place that has internal consistency and detail and flavor and energy and all that stuff. And, and all that was just missing, you know, when when the PCs encountered these particular opponents. And so I thought, okay. I need to go back and figure out what I was missing here. And it just so happened that I was getting a do-over because that encounter had resulted in a three-fifths party kill. And so people were creating new... We had decided, we'll just start over, same adventure, mm-hmm. keep your character if you want to keep your character, create a new one if you want to, and we'll just do it again. And so I was getting a chance to approach it freshly. They were getting a chance to approach it freshly. And I knew that I was going to need to do a close read of the stat block to figure out what I had missed. And at the time, I was also in between jobs. I had time on my hands. I felt like I needed to get back to writing, which is something that I had done professionally for a decade or so but then hadn't done for a long time. And and I thought, I want to get back into this. I want to get into writing daily. I need something to write about. I'm doing this for my own benefit. Other people could possibly benefit from it as well. Maybe I'll turn this into the subject of a blog. I had a friend who knew his way around WordPress. He helped me get set up. And uh, yeah, I just started writing. And when I had... 21 posts already in the can. I started putting them up on the site. And uh, so, yeah, it, it that's a roundabout way of saying that it came about because I felt like something was missing in my own game. I wanted to learn how to do it better. And I just decided to bring other people along for the ride. So, so I, I have a question because uh, you're going from one, maybe two to five is similar to my journey. Uh, when, when you got into quote unquote modern D and D, were you surprised that there was no map maker anymore? I didn't think about it that way. I did. Um, I partly like, because, <laughs> well, I mean, number one, I was always the map maker and it wasn't something I did because we were supposed to have a party map maker. It was just, I wanted to know where we were going. <laughs> but yeah, the thing is the group that I began playing AD&D with, for starters, we were all 
seniors in high school at the time. Second, you know, there were a lot of things that we had just overlooked in the rules. Party roles being something that we hadn't gotten the memo that that was an important thing. We didn't have a party leader. We didn't have an official map maker. Uh, And actually, one of the interesting things about that first group of mine is there were four of us. And we played as a party of four at all times. And the way we handled that was the DM's player character was an NPC when the DM was DMing. So my friend Julian, who was the first DM, he had a character, but that character was an NPC that traveled along with us. When he passed the reins to my friend Matt, who DM'd the second adventure, Matt's character was the NPC. And then Byrne DM'd an adventure, and then I batted cleanup. Mm-hmm. So number one, in a group like that, there was no way anyone was going to get designated the party leader. That was just not going to happen. Even if if somebody had told us this is something we were supposed to have, we would have been, yeah, but that doesn't work for us. And But the other really cool thing about it is I got the benefit of seeing how three different people handled the dungeon master role before I took a single crack at it. And so I got to observe all their styles, see what kind of, what kinds of things they included, what kinds of things Mm -hmm. they left out that I might like to see included. I was already incorporating a little bit of my own homebrew in, in when it came my turn to uh, DM. I, you know, one of the things was at the time of all of the different folk you could play, I thought it was weird that every other folk was shorter than humans. Like, why were humans the tallest? And and that was weird to me. So I thought, oh, I'll create a race that's uh, taller than humans, and uh, maybe they lived in the mountains. I called them I called them Yates because I did like a little back etymology from the. Uh, Norse word for giant. They were basically proto-Goliaths. Like I had the idea for a, a Goliath before I ever knew what a Goliath was. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I didn't actually learn about Goliaths until I had already been playing fifth edition for a while. Because I was completely checked out during the third edition and 3.5 years. I never had any contact with those except that I looked at them from afar and just thought, my God, what are they doing over there? <laughs> it just seemed like it just seemed like such a kitchen sink approach. And when I when I came into fifth edition, I was really gratified to see how much the game had been streamlined, comparing it not just against these intermediate editions that I had never played, but also the first edition that I had come up in. It's like, oh, I don't have to look at four different tables on the Dungeon Master's Guide to find out what a character needs to roll to hit. That's no, not. I, I was never a happier person than when suddenly Thaco was gone. Like, yeah. Like, it was a big game changer for. Yeah. I never actually played second edition. Uh, like mm-hmm. I said, I, I exited right around the time those books were hitting. So I never used Thaco. 
but I, I did use the AD&D dungeon, ma- you know, where you had to have the dungeon master screen or have your dungeon master's guide open to the to hit table page yeah. or you would have no idea whether an attack hit or missed. Mm-hmm. I was really, really glad to see how much fifth edition had been streamlined. And I, I'm a little ambivalent right now, to be honest, by how much it seems like fifth edition is beginning to gravitate back toward the kitchen sink approach. You know, I I feel like in a lot of ways, less is more. Don't use so many fonts in your newsletter. <laughs> you know, keep it, keep it a little more grounded. I'm very much an anchored fantasy person because I care so much about verisimilitude. I, I like to be able to explain everything in my game world. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a hand wavy because magic kind of explanation, I still like to have the explanation. I like it to be internally consistent. And the more the more things that go into the game just because mm-hmm. somebody thinks it sounds like fun. I mean, I'm not anti-fun by any stretch, but I also believe deep in my bones that bounded creativity produces more interesting results than unbounded creativity. Creativity produces more interesting results within constraints. And so if you don't have any constraints at all, I feel like things just become a little sloppy. I mean, that's not wildly dissimilar from what Robert Frost used to say in his opinion about open form poetry, that he said it felt like playing tennis without a net. Hmm. At a certain point, you, you, you make the choices that you make because there's a certain set of rules or prescriptions that you have to figure out how to exist creatively within. And so given that, like you've given us this really great sort of origin story of your interest and your process and sort of your your fallow period and your return and all of that. I'm really interested now. Oh, that's in, a good phrase, fallow period. I've never yeah, used that. It makes that. it sound so much more dignified than I was checked out. Um, so <laughs> I was checked out makes it sort of seem like this is a you problem. Fallow period is just sort of like, no, I am. I have plowed no, the earth under and I am now recuperating my goblins. That's right. So newly, fertile, newly fertile land. Sure. So thinking about the order in which your blog manifested itself into the books that Simon & Schuster now publishes, you began with monsters before going to, by the way, party members, here's how not to die. And, And now we're at the idea of layers. So that's, it's interesting that your approach to talking to people, talking people through the logic of how to create a fun, but also verisimilitude driven experience of their tabletop game began not with the player characters, but with the monsters. So what? what's the logic there? I'm really, because we've gone monsters, monsters, player character, back to the monsters by way of layer. Well, for starters, it began with the monsters because I began with the monsters. You know, with the player characters, I feel like I have a responsibility to show my players the ropes, to to scaffold their success. I'm I'm I have I have a master of education degree. I am also very much a teacher by temperament. And so plus I've got like this weird constellation of skills that I've picked up here and there along the way. Like I'm very good with desktop publishing software. So when 
I first started running this game, I made a little document like explaining the vibe of all of the different types of folk they could play and all the different classes and what kinds of actions were available to you. I made like a little action economy chart that said, you can, you can choose one from column A. If you have something in column B, you can do that. You can also move, you know, reactions are this other thing over here. And I, and I laid that out for all my players because I considered that my responsibility to, to help them understand that from the beginning so that we could have a smooth game session. When it came to monsters, that was all on me. I didn't have to teach them. I had to teach myself. And I just kind of got the idea, well, I'll teach myself in public. People might think this is interesting. I did not intend for it to become a reference document, but that's what it turned into. I found out by looking at my blog traffic and seeing how much of it was driven by certain subreddits, notably D&D Next, DM Academy, Matt Colville's subreddit for some reason was very big on me in the beginning. I found out through observing that traffic and seeing what posts my traffic was coming from that, holy heck, people are using this as reference material. And that's pretty cool. And maybe I'll make more of an effort to make it more like reference material and less my own Gedanken experiment with all these things. Now, then going to interrupt briefly to give you huge bonus points for good Duncan experiment. <laughs> very, very Einsteinian move on your part. Danke schön. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I started getting the emails from Dungeon Masters saying, dude, I used your blog and got a total party kill for the first time. Thanks a lot. And I'm like, ah, that is not <laughs> what I intended this blog to be. I was going for make it feel like a real experience, make it express the nature of these monsters, make these monsters behave in ways that feel like these monsters ought to feel. It was not about massacring player characters. I am. Statism is a weird thing, but it is a subcategory of the dungeon master. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. um, I am my players and my player characters biggest fan. I want them to succeed. I want them to do awesome things. I want to make them have to work for those awesome things so that the success is more satisfying. But ultimately, I am on their side. I consider a total party kill to be a failure on the DM's part to to calibrate the difficulty correctly. And so when... Uh, when I started getting these emails, I thought, okay, now I have a responsibility to other people's players because I've unleashed these monsters on the world. I have to give players a way to fight back. Mm-hmm. And so the initial form of Live to Tell the Tale was as a self-published ebook, a PDF document. That I that I sold off my website, and that was that was my first attempt to monetize anything I was doing. I mean, yeah, there were the Google ads, but Google ads didn't pay Jack. So eventually, I just took off the Google ads and said, "Okay, if I'm going to monetize this this blog, it's going to be by selling things that I've created. There's there's just no other feasible way." So that was how Live to Tell the Tale arose, and then I was approached 
by my now editor who was asking me, have you ever considered turning this into a book? And I had given it thought and I had decided not to because it's, it seemed like, it seemed like poking the bear to try to do something like that. And I told him I was not going to try to turn the monsters know into a book, but I've already got this ebook that I would love to, you know, get into print and expand and revise. And he basically said, what people are going to want is the monsters know what they're doing. And, you know, maybe we can work out a two book deal. And I hesitated. I, I was, <laughs> I, I, this thing that has transformed my life and my family's life, I, I almost walked away from. And <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. But it's it's incredible just how, in retrospect, how much I, I resisted a an opportunity at life changing success. I I did finally allow various people to talk me into it. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> so after Live to Tell the Tale, there was more monsters know what they're doing, which is the uh, second volume of Monster Tactics, the one based on. Volos and Mordenkainen's, which I didn't realize until it was in third proof that Monsters of the Multiverse was going to be a thing, because I have no inside information. And uh, so it was already in third proof when I found out. And I had to scramble once it did come out to go through there and find out how much of more monsters was affected by Monsters of the Multiverse. Mm-hmm which happily was less than I had feared. It's still non-negligible, but there's enough of more monsters know what they're doing that still applies that I think, you know, tooting my own horn, it's still a worthy purchase. Folks can just go ahead and buy that. Yeah, definitely. Don't hesitate. And uh, for all of the monsters that did change substantively enough that their tactics also changed, mm-hmm. I've got all that covered on the blog. If you if you go to the yeah, multiverse yeah. tag, um, that's all. My, that's basically all of my monsters of the multiverse updates. It's very comprehensive. I was doing I was doing my Thank homework you. over the last couple of days. So, which leads me to how to defend your lair, which was um, my okay. What am I going to do next? Book, <laughs> and um, I had a few ideas. I threw up a poll on Twitter. To, to take the pulse of people and see what they were most interested in. And actually, even more than more monsters, um, people were interested in this how to defend your lair idea. And it was an expansion of a kind of throwaway blog post that I had written in 2017, which if you if you look on the uh, on the blog, it's titled Thoughts on Building Encounters. And it was kind of a, a it was it was just some some you know stuff that I some some free association about what kinds of creatures you would find uh, around the lair of a creature that had a lair and um, you know how they would how they would treat the concept of defensible space and uh, 
that idea was interesting enough to me that I thought it could be expanded out into a full book. And that's what I decided to do. And that was the most popular of the uh, options that I offered. So that's the one I went with. People, people just did not bite on my, uh, on my fortune telling system for 5e. That, that just, <laughs> that one didn't yeah, fly. So eh, all right, yeah, whatever. Yeah. You, you'd think you would have known that ahead of time. Oh, oh. this guy. This guy, yeah. Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> so, okay. I, I'm imagining a thought experiment here, which I'm now going to turn into a semi-reality. So a little background on why my why my brain went here. I teach at a very weird school. Actually, you're, you're in the Chicago area, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I my God. Is it Shimer? Uh, no, I teach at the Illinois Math and Science Academy in Aurora. Oh, okay. But Yeah, So, but also weird, but not Shimer. In any case, and I... I in teaching there, we have this thing called intercession, which is a funky week in between the two semesters. Our intercession starts next week. And in that week, students take classes on things that are just absolutely not stuff they would normally have an entire class on. So I'm doing a 16-hour- Intercession with an S or a C? S. Okay. As an in-between sessions, as opposed to like, we are seceding from the union. Okay. Or we are, I don't know, asking for the- We are intervening in your- uh... (laughs) This is intervention time, kids. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm doing a 16-hour-long course next week on Stranger Things and the culture of the 1980s Uh, because my students love Stranger Things, but the oldest among the students were all born in 2005, so they actually don't know anything about the 80s. Granted, I'm born in 79, so I don't have a huge head start on them, but it's something. Anywho, the final project for this mini class that they're taking is they have to make a monster using either the Dungeons and Dragons sort of classic stat block format or one of their own invention that embodies the zeitgeist of our current era, the way that many of the monsters and Stranger Things embody the anxieties and zeitgeists of the 80s. Hmm. And so I was I was writing this morning a prompt about making a monster stat block. And then, of course, I turned my eyes towards your blog and was thinking about things today. So, okay, if I were to make up a stat block for, for a monster that doesn't exist right now and hand it to you and say, talk to me about the, the, the strategies that this creature would use to survive an encounter, to live its life, to build a lair, to do whatever, what's the first piece of that stat block you would look at? Like that you'd zero in on this information before anything else. I tend to start at the top of the stat block and work my way down to the bottom. But the first place I really like dig in and focus on is the ability scores. Because to me, the ability scores, well, I mean, it's not just to me. The ability scores tell you what the creature's strengths and weaknesses are. And you got to figure every creature is going to play to its strengths smarter creatures are going to compensate for their weaknesses but every creature is going to start with their with their strengths and i got the idea early on that i call ability contour which is where are the peaks and valleys what do they say about how this creature is going to fight something that has high strength and constitution is going to be very comfortable with getting up in its enemies faces in melee it's it's strong for the melee hits. It's tough for taking the hits. So obviously, it's just going to get in there and mix it up. Something that has a low constitution but a high dexterity is going to try to avoid being hit. It's going to uh, stay at a distance or it's going to zoom around a lot, that sort of thing. And I later found out 
that this was actually a codified part of the game in oh, the developers go through at least the fourth edition and possibly 3.5 i'm not sure but that there were actually creatures who were designated as uh skirmishers and brutes and and minions and there were there were different ones and i'm like wow okay so great minds think alike and so do ours but um but that is definitely where i would begin the next thing i would look at is the passive traits because they give you an idea of the creature's style. The actual tactical combinations tend to come either in the actions or in the uh, emergent interactions between the actions and the traits. Um, But the traits are where a lot of that flavor tends to be. So I would say the ability scores and the non-action traits will, will provide the uh, soundest foundation. I actually, in more Monsters Know What They're Doing, have an introductory section that is how to analyze a stat block. Like, here's the method I use. You know, I talked in in the Monsters Know What They're Doing about my basic premises. Like, here's what I think these intelligence and wisdom scores mean. Here's the concept of ability contours and how I'm going to use it. Primary offensive ability, primary defensive ability. With more monsters, I actually created a homebrew monster, the Bin Ozg, and then said, all right, now, if this were presented to me, here's how I would go through it and analyze it step by step, section by section. And so that's in there. But it's it's even more interesting that one of the ideas I'm kicking around now for a possible subsequent book is how to design the monster in the first place. Mm. So maybe I should get on that. Maybe I should. <laughs> maybe I should actually start writing that circle. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, given it's the one of a couple of ideas, but it's it's a leading contender. Right. Perhaps you could use a D and D based fortune telling as an instrument for making. Nope, that one's gone. Up. That one's gone. <laughs> okay, I was. I People was have fine. spoken on that one. Yeah. Okay. We will listen to the call of democracy there. On the subject of of it being the time for things, I think it's time for picks of the week. Say, Patrick. I agree. Picks of the week. All right. Well, Keith's been talking to us a lot about modeling and sort of uh, presenting examples of things. So, Patrick, give us give us your pick. I am. Uh, I'm going to go on brand slightly, but to the right. I am picking Dragon Age Absolution. Oh, this okay. is an animated series on Netflix. I want to say six episodes, but it might be eight. But I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm almost sure it's six. And uh, this is from Bioware. Very long time ago, we had someone from Bioware on, and we talked about. Uh, Dragon Age and a couple of other other games, but uh, if you're familiar with the Dragon Age setting, it's very D and D, you know, very uh, fantasy RPG kind of setting. Uh, great games, love to play them. Uh, this animated series is is also very good, and it follows a uh, a, a group of adventurers who are uh, forced to to go to a city where elves are slaves, and uh, they're there to steal something, and then of course. You know, things go to shit as it always does. It's it's very much in the vein of the Vox Machina stuff, but not as 
funny. It's not, it's not like they, they inject as much humor into it. There's definitely some funny things, but they're taking it a little bit more seriously. It's a little bit more dramatic. Uh, really, really well done. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I mm-hmm. saw that it had dropped and ended up clicking it and watching like all six episodes in one go. So nice. uh, definitely worth it. It's over on Netflix. Again, Dragon Age Absolution. If I could butt in and just no. second the recommendation <laughs> of uh, just second the recommendation of the Dragon Age franchise of games, yeah. they are amazing. And and what you said, it's it's a very D and D esque setting. But what I love about it is the way it subverts a lot of the old D and D tropes in yeah. very smart ways. I, I can't recommend it enough, especially Dragon Age Inquisition. Yeah, so much fun and so much replayability. Oh, I played through Dragon Age Inquisition literally seven times. Yeah. Seven different PCs. It's amazing. Reroll, do a different character, and and go for it. Very, very cool to replay that game. Yeah, yeah. All right. How about you, Keith? Uh, Before a week and a half ago, I probably would have said uh, Knives Out Glass Onion because that was an awesome awesome movie i saw everyone in my my social media timelines talking about how great that movie was i'm like all right i liked i liked knives out a lot let's check this glass onion was amazing i loved it even though i i like kind of called the ending about 10 minutes before it actually happened um it it was it didn't detract from it at all because it was so satisfying to see that prediction come true it was it was terrific however however in the last week and a half, I started playing Crusader Kings 3, and that is bonkers in the best way. <laughs> okay. I love it. I've got I've got more than an, a thousand hours of Civilization 5 and more than a thousand hours of Civilization 6 under my belt. So I was genuinely afraid after you said the week and a half ago thing and then a thousand <laughs> hours. I'm like, somehow you broke the space-time continuum. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I've only I've only I think I've played less than 25 hours of Crusader Kings 3 at this point, although I had insomnia last night, so I may have broken that. Uh, but um, but it's what I love about it is that it uh, it takes this war game skin, but then injects so many aspects of a role playing game into it. It's like if if D&D is in some ways a war game disguised as play acting, um, Crusader Kings 3 is kind of in the same way play acting disguised as a war game. Um, and and there are just some very, very funny things that happen in it. And, and I'm totally hooked now. Nice. Awesome. All right, so this is uh, this is the first time I've ever had a pick of the week where I had to contact Patrick first to make sure that he was ready for it, because my my pick of the week is one of my Christmas gifts from the Husbeast, and people who know me well know that I have a tendency to get overcommitted, both in the sense of having too many obligations to take care of, but also committing a little bit too much intellectually and emotionally sometimes to those different obligations, and it can wear me down. And as my husband, he observes this on the regular and uh, got me this book uh, by Mark Manson. It's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... And so The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... 
is important uh, as a sort of self-help book, which is a genre I entirely loathe. And so this is a bit of a risk that Husbies took here, and I admire him for doing it. But as a self-help book goes, it's it's written entirely from the framework of, you know how all the other self-help books say that you just have to get more organized, you just have to get more intentional, you just need to practice self-care, you just need to do this, you just need to do that. Yeah, nah. Um, sort of the approach of this particular book by Mark Manson is the world is always asking you to care about everything. Uh, it's always asking you to be invested in what's happening around you politically or what's happening in your family or what's happening this and how it's, and you need to recognize that you have only so much of yourself to give. And at a certain point you need to say, not my monkeys, not my circus. Um, and it's basically an, an entire book about not my monkeys, not my circus and how to kind of make peace with telling things to F off uh, from your life. And so that has been um, for, again, I hate self-help books as a genre, but as we are having a conversation here, which I hope has been a good one for everyone about sort of the larger genre of reference. And essentially, this is like self-help book for, for DMs is what we've been talking about here and for players. This is one that I think a lot of people could use because, wow, is it exhausting to give an F all the time. So if that's a problem you've been having, you might want to check out Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a So. All right. There we go, folks. Uh, first episode of 2023 is in the can. It's been great talking to you, Keith. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. So where can people find more of you, more of your stuff, and support your work? All right. So uh, themonstersno.com, all solid, no punctuation. Uh, that is the blog. Um, I am no longer on Twitter. I have moved over to Mastodon. I am at Keith Amon at dice.camp. Um, and uh, my personal slash professional website is spyandowl.com. Uh, three words, solid, no punctuation. And uh, until, uh, until the landscape changes, that's going to be it for a bit. Yeah. And uh, my books are... Um, published by Saga Press, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. They are trade books, which means you can get them from any place you like to buy books, uh, independent bookstores, bookshop.org. Um, oh, I just found out about this new one called Tertulia, which is... Uh, um, it's it's interesting. It's uh, I don't know I don't know how much it's going to take off, but uh, I threw a few of those links on my uh, sites just for the heck of it. Uh, of course, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Um, yep. Three of my books are available in audiobook format. Uh, mm -hmm. Those would be um, The Monsters Know More Monsters and How to Defend Your Lair. I'm sorry, losing my voice here, so I'll just shut up. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, Keith. What on earth? Hey. hey! Oh, oh, hi, Patrick. Tracy, what are you doing to the bumper? Uh, fortifying it, duh. This is because we just talked to Keith Amon about defending your lair, and... And I started thinking about that time beyond the trope, tried to take over, yeah, I... I act cool about that, but I guess it kind of got to me after all. You do realize that building a... what? What is this? It's a palisade. Right. 
you realize that physical fortifications are not a way of protecting and preserving the podcast into the future, right? I suppose. Oh, oh, what about weapons? You're kidding. You have two Hugo Awards. Those trophies are very pointy and probably excellent for close quarters combat. Oh my God, you're not kidding. You can't tell me that you don't look at those trophies sometimes and think about how good it would feel to just poke them right into Sean Duke from Skiffy and Fanty, huh? Huh? My therapist says I need to give my worst impulses space to be entertained intellectually but not acted upon. I would totally act on that. But there's a problem. I don't have a Hugo Award trophy. I don't even have one of the tiny stabity nomination pins. Patrick. Patrick. Why are you grabbing me by the collar? Why am I narrating about it? This is audio entertainment, Patrick. Just give the cues. Patrick, I need that Hugo trophy to help you defend our lair. Podcast. But layer, podcast, whatever. We need to make sure the listeners know that nominating for the Hugo Awards is a great way to contribute to the SF community and honor content creators they like. Maybe even the functional nerds by nominating them for categories like Best Fan Cast. Please let me go. Oh, sorry. Would you feel better if we also told folks that interested listeners can go to the current Worldcon Facebook page for more information? I cannot actually pronounce that name of that current page, but they're in China. Oh, or they could skip straight to finding the Chengdu Worldcon on the web at en.chengduworldcon.com. You know, you're stronger than I thought you'd be. My neck hurts. <sighs> Walk it off, Hester. Here, here's a hammer. We've got work to do. Let's take a second to talk about Beyond the Trope. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, we recommend Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle have been putting out episodes for a really long time. Not as long as me, but don't hold that against them. They have a lot of great guests, just like we do. And they put out their episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. They also have a Patreon with a bunch of extra content for backers, which is really cool. They have a Redbubble site where you can buy stuff, also cool. And I just wanted to throw it out there. Beyond the Trope, check them out. I think you'll like them. So there. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.